This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Today I'm talking to Pamela Hall and she's a multinational award-winning educator, speaker and author who's dedicated to helping educators consciously connect with and grow with all learners. Now, we have a really interesting conversation about how you have that balance between teaching academic subjects and this whole idea of being a conscious teacher and educator and actually being able to see the whole child, connect with the whole child in order to be able to really embrace a lifelong learning. Now, Pamela also leads Literate for Life, which is a non-profit foundation that educates, encourages and empowers children to be literate. And as well as the non-profit, she's incredibly keen on mindfulness and the idea of amplifying all children, education and self-care, both for you as a teacher and also for the children that you're educating. If you want to join the conversation, then please do visit educationonfire.com. Sign up to the newsletter where you can download our top 10 resources PDF and also get an invitation to our private Facebook group where we're starting to share and have conversations not just about the podcast, but the direction of Education on Fire and how we can be supporting thousands of children around the world. So I look forward to chatting to you in that group. But for now, this is my conversation with Pamela Hall. Hi, Pamela. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast today. Tell us a little bit about where you live currently and exactly the sorts of inspiring education that you believe in. Hi, Mark. I'm so glad to be here. I live in Virginia in the United States of America. And a lot of people know the area that I live as Virginia Beach. I don't live quite in Virginia Beach. But one of the reasons that I love education so much is we get to make an impact for the future. And every day is a new day. It's not an ever boring job. (laughs) And it's always changing. So we get to be innovative and change with the times. And I absolutely love children. I really believe that all children can learn. And it's up to us as educators to figure out how to help them learn best. Because as everyone knows, children are diverse. So we've got to unlock what's inside of them. And I love that. I think that's fantastic. One of the things that really struck me when I was um, just before we started recording is that I saw that you've got consciously connecting with and grow all learners. And to me, that consciously connecting and they've been able to see students for who they are and and how those relationships work are, are the key to then almost everything else that goes on in the learning experience so tell us a little bit about that and your philosophy behind it well relationships are king because children know right off the bat whether you like them or not so I could read a strategy in a book and apply that And it may be a stellar strategy that works for all kids, but it may not ever work for me if I don't love the kids first. And I have to know them, each and every one of them. And so there's many ways to do that. As an educator, I love to greet all students at the door and 
look them in the eye and say good morning to them and that I believe in them. And at that moment, I can find out if they've had a bad morning, what's going on, and we can address it right then and there. Because once they walk through our classroom door, it's a brand new day. It's a brand new start. So we want to leave everything out in the hall. (laughs) And um, by taking the time to get to know them and know their stories, they know that they're loved. And then we further build community with a morning meeting and connect all the students to each other because everybody wants to belong. And so when kids feel like you love them and you care about them and they belong, and then you show them their gifts and talents, that they have something that they is worthwhile to contribute, then really behavior problems are fewer and fewer. And tell us a little bit about your your teaching environment, the, the places that you teach and and how that ethos works. Is that something you're able to foster through an entire education department or school or is it something which is particularly special to your classroom? How, how does it work? Okay, that's a great question. So my background is I have over two decades of experience <laughs> and I've taught in a wide variety of settings from elementary primarily in like first grade, second, third grade. I've taught preschool and I've also taught in cooperative situations. And currently I'm a STEM teacher. So some people call that a resource teacher. So currently I have over 700 students in a week. So I still can take the time in that setting to get to know my students. I meet them at the door. So even though I have them for a shorter amount of time, I just shorten what we do. So they come through the door, I greet them all, I address anything that needs to be addressed, I listen to their stories in a quick minute, we sit down and we talk real quick and then we start the lesson because truly they're not gonna learn anything if they don't unpack what's on their minds first or if they don't realize that I care and love them then learning isn't going to happen anyway so we take a few minutes to make that happen and exactly what does some of the 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 stem things that you teach what what are some of the things that, that you cover there so I teach engineering primarily so the e in stem And like I said, I have 700, over 700 students a week. So when a class comes through, I have pre-K all the way through third grade. And I have almost seven classes of each, except pre-K. I only have one pre-K class. So it looks different depending on their age, age appropriate. But the whole premise of engineering is teaching them the design thinking process and teaching them to be innovative and teaching them that mistakes are for learning. And so we have to have a lot of grit and we redesign, we test the design and improve upon the design. And I absolutely love teaching that way because it's all hands-on. It's all the five C's, which are creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, communication and displaying good citizenship 
I love that. And it really covers all the, all aspects, doesn't it? And, and I know that things like and when it comes across of what you're talking about the idea of mindfulness and self-care and and like say that kind of human to human contact and, and understanding which then enables the rest of it so tell us a little bit more about the idea of um, mindfulness and and self-care is it something you sort of envelop into everything that you're doing um on a day-to-day basis with the children or is it something which you actually teach in a slightly more direct way So that's also a great question, Mark. There's two parts of the self-care that I'm really an advocate for. So for the students, the mindfulness, if I see that things are spinning out of control, because, you know, that can happen, right? (laughs) (laughs) Kids getting wild and rambunctious. We'll take just a quick brain break. And I might just do some yoga with them. And that only takes a couple of minutes and it just centers everybody. And then we get back into the groove of what we're doing. Or I'm always mindful about helping children regulate their emotions. They often don't know what to say or how to respond. And I'm talking about primary age children, maybe teenagers too, but in my case, primary children. So I have a calm down area with a calm down basket. And in that calm down basket, I have just sensory items such as a net that has a marble in it. And they just can move the marble back and forth. It sounds really mundane to probably you and me, but it actually helps them calm down. I have like an hourglass filled with water. And when you dump it upside down, they can just watch the bubbles and slowly breathe as the bubbles move. So I help them regulate. Let's say if a child's angry about something, they can go to that calm down area and diffuse. I teach them how to do that. And then they're ready to go and re-enter. And then we can have a conversation about how to better respond to situations. And it sounds like that's a very safe place for them and a positive place like you say to understand and and regulate those emotions not in a kind of you need to do this so that we can do the learning but actually you're getting to learn and understand about yourself which then once you understand that in the future you can then take that forward and and is that kind of like reading that correctly yeah absolutely so it is definitely not Um, a punishment or condemnation. It is totally a way to take a break. And um, I use something that I love. It's actually on Amazon. It's titled Miracle Cube Timer. And I truly believe it's a miracle (laughs) (laughs) because the children can use it themselves. So it's a cube and it has different increments of time. And depending on the student and how much I know about them or how much time they need, I teach them, you know, to use that number. So let's say it's three minutes. If they flip the three toward the ceiling, then they get to be there for three minutes. And I teach them autonomy. So when that timer goes off, flip it over, turn the timer back off and come back and re-engage. So it's not me losing teaching time about meeting the needs of the students. And where did this philosophy come from? Is it something that you were introduced to? Is it something which is naturally within you? How did it come about? 
Wow. I think it's kind of threefold of what you just asked. So since I have been in education for over two decades, I started out with that mindset of doing whatever it's going to take to reach a student. And back then, I taught sixth grade. And my colleagues, I did things that at the time were unique, like we would act out a whole city situation in the, with our sixth graders, and they would have to have a pond of water. I used Lego blocks. I did all kinds of things that would meet their needs. And my colleagues would say things to me like, all you do over there is play. <laughs> and now that's not the mindset, but back then. So part of it is, I think that I've always desired to do whatever it takes. But now there's there are so many books out about trauma-informed classrooms. There's books out about responsive classrooms. So I've read those things and it's helped just guide the path of what I could do better for students. And I think that understanding is only going to be a positive, isn't it? And I think because it's so ingrained, I think children having that experience and learning all that as part of their schooling but also that their sort of whole learning experience I think is a is a fantastic thing and a, and a real gift to be able to share like you say especially when it comes from the heart and it's very intentional but in a whole wholesome way if that's the right kind of word I think and I, I think I think that's the bit that sort of envelops everybody and makes you feel really safe. We're raising up the next generation and just like you I want to raise good humans and so, yes, the academics is really important, but before the academics, we, we've got to be able to have children that can communicate well with each other, that can recognize and regulate their own feelings before we can even move forward. Yeah, I really, I really love that. And I think when you start, well, it kind of goes full circle really to what you said about, you know, starting each day is a, is a fresh day as, as they come into class. And I think if we're, if we're starting with that attitude and that understanding at the beginning of our day, then we can't go too far wrong. I agree. I need a fresh start every day. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, can you tell us a little bit about Literate for Life, which I know is something which is important to you? So... It is extremely important to me. It started about five years ago, just how a lot of things start, just an idea. Um, I was tutoring, actually, privately tutoring, and it just seemed like so many parents and educators were asking me questions about how to teach writing and how to help their children write better, read better, and then I started researching, and um, I don't know how it is in the rest of the world, but in the United States of America, there's really a crisis. Our children are exiting high school, if they even make it illiterate or reading it just like the fifth grade level, and that really troubled me. And I experienced that actually my very first year teaching. I had sixth graders that couldn't read. And so I actually asked the reading specialist if she'd help me out. And so I had 
the reading specialist coming to my sixth grade class, teaching them really the basics, phonetics, the whole basics of reading. And I was just baffled, like, how in the world can they get to sixth grade and not know how to read? And so that experience stuck with me. And I just realized one of the best ways that we can combat illiteracy is getting books into the hands of children. So that's our number one goal is give a book, change a life. And I was just going to ask you before you finish then, you know, do you think there's a reason why that's the case? And and I guess it is just opportunity and, and actually physically being surrounded by books and then understanding how that world that you can enter into as a child becomes so so incredibly inspiring. Yeah, I think for people that have books, they don't realize what it must be like to not have books, right? Yeah, absolutely. And what I started doing is going to a homeless shelter. And it wasn't that they were totally homeless. They did have a place, but it was for domestic violence. So it was a domestic violence shelter and the children and the whichever family member was, you know, homeless for that time. So they didn't get to bring anything with them. So I'd go to the shelter and the mission was twofold. Read to the students so that their vocabulary was expanded and that they'd get excited about books because I think most people don't like to read because they just don't, they haven't found the right book. They don't know what is out there for Mm -hmm. them. And I was that kid. I didn't really like to read. And then my mom got me hooked on National Geographic for Kids, more pictures, fewer words. And then I just loved reading those. So we just have to find what kids like. And the only way you do that is by reading aloud to them and giving them a lot of exposure. And then the second thing that we did at the shelter, and we continue to do all over, is we leave them books. We let them keep them. And I think the life-changing experience for me is when a child, this really happened, he grabbed the book to his chest. Well, no, first, he said, when do I return this? And I said, it's yours. You get to keep it. And he grabbed the book to his chest and he said, it's mine. This is mine. And so that just made me realize that giving a book changes a life. Yeah. And it's interesting. We had this exact conversation in our house very recently about the the finding your book idea. And and I and I said I understand when I was younger, you know, when I was in school, there was a whole reading scheme that you had to do. And when you're very young, you do it and it becomes part of your sort of process of learning. But then as you start to get a bit older, if it's not, if it doesn't speak to you and it becomes a bit more of a chore, I think that has a really sort of detrimental side to it. And I was explaining to my daughter, it was only when I was then a bit older, probably out of school, sort of college age, sort of maybe late teens, early 20s, I suddenly started finding autobiographies and reading about the people I was into because as a musician, I was learning about musicians and their backgrounds and how they got involved in the arts and that kind of thing. And it was really interesting and stuff I really wanted to know about. And before I was, before I knew it, I was reading books all over the place and and I said it just is that thing when it's your interest the reading becomes second nature and the benefit you get from then absorbing all of that stuff is is incredibly valuable yes I totally agree with that and a lot of times that's why I actually love 
STEM education and teaching children about agriculture because they get hooked in to the topic and then suddenly they want to learn more about it. And so it's a secret way to get them to read. <laughs> I think anything which links in with the with your real life and something you understand and expands into that world, I'd say that just grabbing that attention is, is the starting point for, for all inspiring learning in my view. Absolutely. Let's just talk a little bit about your own school experience. What was valuable about it and were there any teachers which sort of stand out for you? Okay, so my growing up? Yeah. I think the teachers that stand out to me the most is there's three. My fourth grade teacher, her name was Miss Poet, and she actually sat on the stool and would read aloud to us <laughs> after lunch every day. She invited us to her house and she often she did that often. She didn't do it just like the end of the year. She would do it maybe once a month. So she really made us feel like people. So maybe that's another reason why I just think relationships are so important. And she'd also, you'd like this part, Mark, she'd play her guitar in class. Wow. And so I loved learning through music. So that was her. And then in high school, I had a biology teacher that just made learning so fun. And yeah, he took us out into the field and just made everything life applicable. And that's the way I like to learn. And that's the way I like to teach. I think it's definitely about that connection, isn't it? I mean, it's a theme that's run through this whole conversation. And I can see why that spoke to you at that time and therefore how going full circle how you then bring that back into your class and, and with your pupils it, it makes so much sense and I think partly because you recognize it in advance even if you can't articulate it obviously when you're a child but understanding that love for whatever that happens to be is something which really resonates I think on a fundamental level most definitely so my biology teacher was Mr. Davis and he believed in me and isn't that what we all one in life. So that's what I aspire to do for children is to believe in them and bring the best out. And because Mr. Davis believed in me in biology, then I took drama. I took whatever class he was teaching <laughs> because he believed in me. And then that made me a better person. I love that. I've, I've, I've heard that a couple of times in, in the what are we now with sort of 150 plus episodes of this podcast but a couple of times it's come up with that people taking electives or, or, or going to different classes of someone they wouldn't normally would have expected to for whatever reason that was but purely because of the person there's something about the way they taught the way that they connected with people that got them so much more than just the 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 subject that they were actually taking yeah so it's that affinity and I don't I think that's the beautiful thing about all the different types of educators because there's all the different types of students. So yeah. we're not going to reach everybody, but thank goodness there's people different than us with different gifts and talents so that we can reach everybody. Yeah. And I, I always think it's that kind of, you know, if you have more than one child of your own, you know that one parenting style doesn't work from them all. You you understand they have different personalities and different ways of interacting. And if you times that by an entire class, then you realize how 
how much breadth you need to be able to connect to them all. Right. So I'm actually glad you brought that up because one thing that I really strongly believe in because of what you just said of connecting, like in a family, if you've got both parents or multiple generations, you can utilize different family members' gifts and talents. But in the education system, I partner up with colleagues and we do cross-age tutoring. Let's say we would have a first grade class like this year. I worked with a first grade class and a third grade class on one big, huge project where we taught the children how to grow lettuce without soil, and that's called hydroponics. And so they did a whole project together, and it's so beautiful because the older children teach the younger children those children can reach children that I might not be able to reach. And by collaborating with the other teachers, maybe one of those teachers can reach one of my students that I wouldn't have been able to reach. So I highly recommend um, peer tutoring, cross-age tutoring, whatever you want to call it. It's a beautiful win-win situation. Yeah, I really love that. And I, I that word collaboration, I think, is fantastic because it just opens up a whole... I don't know, a whole world of uh, of possibilities, which I find really exciting. And and the cross-generational thing, I know we were just talking there about um, within sort of a school scenario, but one of the things I remember, which was, um, and I think it's it was somewhere in America to begin with, but I think it's happened here in the UK as well, is having children going into a residential home where you have sort of grandparent kind of age talking reading sharing stories um with people within like primary age as well and and that kind of cross-generational conversation and uh, a connection is something which just inspired the children they loved the learning you also had the natural obviously life process because some of the people in the home would die and then that opened up a whole load of conversations about the circle of life and and how we interact with people and I just think there is something very magical about that, which I think is something which was a little bit more integral to our to our lifestyle, maybe a generation or two back, which isn't necessarily the case these days. Yeah, I agree with you. I love the word you use, magical. I've seen it happen, and it is magical, the way that it's a win-win because the elderly people light up and so do the children. And I think it's a wonderful way to teach respecting our elders but also empathy goes both ways. So yeah. it's a great way to instill empathy. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I, and I think also one thing you hear sometimes from the slightly older generation is that is that whole idea of being seen again, isn't it? Is it sort of you, you no longer have the same part of society and taking part in society in the same way and you often hear people of that generation saying oh sometimes I I don't feel like I'm being seen or heard in the way that I was when I was younger and I guess like we said that connection we have with our pupils is is integral to how they learn and what they're doing and I think the same happens across that spectrum and so you can see why the two the two ends of the spectrum of the pupils and and the elderly just come together in a beautiful way yes I agree so what advice would you give your younger self now sort of looking back whether that happens to be looking back on yourself as a younger teacher or or, or something which you think if you'd known back then you would have made your life um maybe richer or, or more or easier depending on which way you want to look at it <laughs> 
Okay, so let's bring back that self-care piece. Um, I probably would have, I, I'm super intentional now about making sure that I refill myself, that I don't bring home tons and tons and tons of work because I once heard you're going to die with your inbox full. So no matter what you do, your inbox is still going to be full. (laughs) (laughs) And if I keep on working and working and working and I'm depleted, I'm certainly not going to be my best for my students or anyone. So I think that when I would, even now it's challenging for me to step away because I love and care for my students so much that I want the best for them. And actually, I internalize a lot of their pain that they're going through. So I have to find ways to rest and revive and fill up my own bucket so that I'm not depleted by their life situations. I think that's so important. And I think it's a really... It's a really hard thing, isn't it, for teachers, like you say, because of the relationships, because there's you to many that, that are often doing that. And I think even just understanding that concept of actually filling yourself up, and, and that can be in so many different ways, can't it? it can, the rest is incredibly important, but spending time on your hobbies, like you said, leaving your work at home and, and just giving you what you need to be as full as you can because it is only there you can't give them a place of being completely empty yourself and I think if your starting point is the fact you want to give and you want to be there for your pupils then you have to give yourself what you need in order to be able to do that intentionally especially over a long period of time and I know certainly here in the UK that's one of the big struggles is that ability to to do it over a number of years and still keep that motivation but also actually having the energy and the drive and the understanding of how to keep that longevity. Yeah, I think it's a challenge for everyone. And I think that when we can just be real with ourselves and say, I will be more productive by letting it go for now. (laughs) And like you said, having a hobby so we can fill ourselves up in a variety of ways. Sometimes I get filled up by just hanging out with friends and having a cup of cappuccino and just that time together of laughing, and then I'm good to go. I think just whatever it is for you, have that somewhere that you can easily get hold of and and, and remember it, and I think that's of of incredible value. So just as we finish off, is there um, a podcast, a book, a a resource, a song, anything which has had a a big impact on your life that you'd like to share with everybody? Oh, wow. (laughs) So I guess book... I I believe in a higher power, and so I will say the Bible because it's the word is never changing, but your seasons of life are always changing, so it's always applicable to your season of life. You might find something in it that you didn't find before. So my faith gets me through, so I guess I would recommend that. There's wonderful education books out there. And I listen to many different podcasts. I really like Bob Goff, Dream Big, because for me, part of that filling up is 
just the reminder of I'm enough, I can do it and get back up again. I think teachers, educators are really hard on ourselves because we, we want to do our best and we do do our best, but we still don't think it's enough. We're givers. We give and we give and we give. So just being reminded that, that we're enough. And I think this conversation has been, certainly for me, I think just so incredibly inspiring about everything which we bring to a school and, what, and all the things that we bring to our students and also how that reflects on ourselves and, and what we need to do in order to be able to do that every day. And I love that idea that we started with about greeting everyone at the door and just leaving everything that's coming in there. And that's the same for us as well. And I think if we can if we can understand that with everything else that we've been talking about as well, I think every classroom is going to be a much more inspiring place. So I wanted to mention, I came up with a system about a year and a half ago, I was really burnt out and I actually almost left education, which I really believe is my calling. And the system that I came up is called Strong, S-T-R-O-N-G. And I just started a movement called Strong E-D-U to help educators remember all those things we talked about that we need to do to keep ourselves strong because it starts with us. And so the S stands for stop and remember your why. The T is take time to thank. So I call it the daily trio. Be thankful, write down three things every day. So that's S-T-R, rest and revive, rejuvenate. S-T-R-O, omit the negative. So whatever that is, if it's the news, negative people in your life, get it out. <laughs> focus on the good, focus on the positive. And then that N is never give up. So don't give up on yourself. We're all in this together. It's a process of learning and growing and never give up on students. And the G is go deeper. So go deeper means to personally and professionally grow and so one of those ways is you're on Twitter. And so there's a whole, it's P, LN, whole professional learning network that I have found on Twitter. And I absolutely love it because it's like-minded educators from around the world. So I just want to encourage everyone to be strong and be strong educators for their students. I love that. And I think this conversation is an example of the fact that we can learn and support each other no matter where we are around the world. And I think that professional development and that life development is is so um, profound now that we can find it in just in our earbuds, just listening on our way to work or, or like you say, in any part of our lives. So just, just to, to leave us, tell us where we can find out more about you as well. If you've got a website or somewhere that people can come and check you out. Okay, so my Twitter handle is at Pam, P-A-M, Hall, H-A-L-L, the numeral two, and then the word inspire. So I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and my website is pamhalltoinspire.com. And I'd love to connect with you all there and have that strong community. 
Fantastic. Well, Pam, thank you so much for chatting to us. And we'll have links to all of those things on the show notes for this podcast as well. So if you go to educationonfire.com and in the search bar, just put Pam Hall, that will then come up and you can directly link through. So Pam, thank you so much for your time and for all your inspiration today. Thanks, Mark. What a pleasure. I'm so glad that I met you. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. I'd like to thank the National Association for Primary Education for their continued support and sponsorship of this show. NAEP are currently supporting teachers by producing fortnightly videos which cover themes like art, school trips and literacy. Also, they are giving away e-copies of their professionally produced journal, Primary First. To find out more about the association, please go to nape.org.uk. That's n-a-p-e.org.uk.